welcome. This is Kid Men Talk. Of course, you know that if you're already listening. And this is the 78th episode. Holy moly, that is a lot of podcasts. But I am so encouraged by those who email me, Carl at KidmanTalk.com, or send me a, a tweet at KidmanTalk or directly at, at Kidologist. Either one goes to me. Or uh, comment in the forums. Always makes my day. Well, today I want to treat you to a presentation that I just did in California on storytelling. I think you'll really enjoy it. It's filled with some stories and some tips on how you can become a greater storyteller. But first, I want to tell you a little about something I am doing with Minecraft to connect with kids. I'll keep that brief because not everybody will have an interest in that. And then keep listening so that you can become an amazing storyteller in your teaching will make a huge difference. All right, I am going to cut right to it. I'm not even going to edit. I'm just going to dive right in Um, because I've got a long MP3. I think it's about 40, 50 minutes that I want to pop in here. I think it'll be worth your time, though, and it's on storytelling, and it's a workshop I just did at a Calvary Chapel conference in California uh, middle of last month, and uh, it it was a lot of fun, and I realized I had no recordings of that workshop. I've done it many times in many places, and it was the first time I actually was provided with an MP3 of that workshop, and uh, I think you'll enjoy it. It's got Andy the Ants on there. It's got George and the Umbrella. It's got some other um, stories in there, but also the techniques for becoming a great storyteller because we know that stories are how kids learn. In fact, Jesus was the master storyteller, and if he used stories to get his point across, how much more then should we? But before I hit play on that MP3, I want to just tell you a little bit about something I'm doing with Minecraft. Now, if you don't know what Minecraft is, real brief Briefly, it's like virtual Legos on a game console, on an iPad, on the computer, and it's a place where you can build stuff. There's two basic modes, and survival and creative is where you get all the pieces. Survival, you've got to kind of find them and craft them and make them, and, and it's a lot of fun. If you know what it is, I don't want to take time explaining, and if you don't, let me just direct you to kidology.org slash Minecraft, because one of the dangers or concerns that parents have with Minecraft is kids end up playing online with strangers, sometimes all over the world. And that can be fun, it can be harmless, but it also can raise concerns when you don't really know who your kids are chatting with. And they might say they live a thousand miles away, and who knows, uh, they're they're nearby. And maybe kids can be uh, tricked into giving personal information. So what I've done is I've subscribed to what's called Minecraft Realms. Now, it's free to you or your kids. Um, I'm, I'm paying the cost. It's not much. It's like 13 bucks a month. and um, But it's to create a community online world that is safe for kids to come play together. You know, and maybe I've started out on the iPad with Luke. Maybe your kids have done that on their iPhones, iPads, and they build these incredible things, and, and they just want to show them to people, but it's you, you can't really show it to anyone unless you're on the same Wi-Fi. Then you can kind of join worlds. So I thought, wouldn't it be fun to create a place, and I've called it Kidology Kids, where um, people who I approve, it's by invitation only, can join that world and play. And they can build a house, and they can do all kinds of things. So, um, and it, it's a lot of fun. 
I've already got about 10 kids and some children's pastors are in there and some parents, which is great. And, and I'm hoping it really grows. And so without taking any more time, if it doesn't interest you, fine. If, if it does, if your kids love Minecraft, please go to kidology.org slash Minecraft. And that explains um, the requirements and how it works and how you can get approved to let you or your child be a part of that Minecraft world called Kidology Kids. It's just it's just starting. And But even if you're listening to this a year from now, wow, I can't even imagine what this world's going to look like a year from now because it's infinitely huge, can handle any number of players, and it's going to be a lot of fun. And it's just something I want to do to minister to parents, to connect with kids, and to create a fun place to pray. I'm even starting the plans right now building a church in Minecraft, it's going to be called Minecraft Community Church, and um, where I'm going to post Bible verses and things. Not going to over overdo it there, but just to let the kids know that's our theme. In fact, our theme verse is 2 Peter 2, 5. We all, like living stones, are being built into a spiritual uh, priesthood. So anyway, that is something I want you to know about, so I've just declared it the sponsor for this podcast, and I hope you'll check it out. So now, with no more further ado, let me just shift gears Thank you for listening. Thank you for your emails and your feedbacks and your tweets. They encourage me so much. But here is the one, the only, well, it's not really the one, the only, but well, I guess it's the only one I have. And this is it, bringing stories to life. How's everybody doing? All right, bringing stories to life. You guys like stories? Good. All right, everybody stand up. We're going to do a story. We're going to start out with a fun story, right? You can't do a workshop on stories and not tell stories, all right? And then hopefully you learn something from the stories as well as some of the little tidbits I'll share with you. How many of you guys know the story of the little rabbit in the woods? The little rabbit in the woods. You know that story? All right, if you don't know it, it's pretty easy to learn. So you can just join with me. It even has hand motions. It goes like this. In a cabin in the woods, a little man by the window stood. Saw a rabbit hopping by, knocking at his door. Help me, help me, help, he cried. Before the hunter shoots my hide, come little rabbit, come inside, safely to abide. Nice little story, right? Sometimes I do that at camp. But there's other ways to tell a story. You can take a familiar story and you can just change the way you tell it. For example, you can tell the very same story in the teeny-weeny, itsy-bitsy version. Where you shrink the story down and you use little, itsy-bitsy, teeny-weeny little motions. So you have to do this with me, okay? Otherwise, it's really embarrassing. Okay, here we go. Ninja Kiwi Ninja Wood, we told me by the windows tight. So tiny's one option. But you can also do big version, where you blow it up. All right, you with me? You lower your voice, ladies too, and you go like this. Everything's blown up. In a cabin in the wood, little man by the window stood. Saw a rabbit, hop, 
bing by knocking at his door. Be with me here. Help me, help me, help me, cry. Before the guy's like this, for the hunter <laughs> shoots my hide. Come, little rabbit. That's a big rabbit. Come inside safely to abide. <laughs> but then you've done big, you've done little, and then there's the cool version. <sighs> Join me. Whew. I'm still out of breath. In a cabin in the woods, this little man by the window, he stood. He saw this rabbit just hopping by, a knocking at his door. He said, help me, help me, a help, he cried. Till the hunter man shoots my hide. Come, you little rabbit, just come inside. Safely to a bar. Yeah. All right, have a seat. There we go. I think I'm glad the recording was broken over there. <laughs> Whew. But that's a funny illustration that you can take a story, a simple story, pretty boring, pointless story, and you can make it entertaining, right? So I'm going to give you some of the principles um, that I use when, when telling stories and that I've observed, um, but I'll also share a couple of my favorite stories with you. The first rule of being a good storyteller is you can have absolutely no pride, as I have just so wellly demonstrated to you, okay? It's kind of why I start with that. If you're worried about what people are going to think about you, you're not going to be a good storyteller, all right? You, and and you're, you're doing this for the children, Right? And I, I quote it many times. I don't know how many times today I've quoted the Apostle Paul saying, I became all things to all men so that they might be reached. And you've got to do that with kids. You've got to say, my role is to be whatever I need to be or become for the sake of these children. The Bible can feel very old-fashioned, very antiquated, very uh, out of touch with today's children, with today's adults. I mean, it's, it's an ancient manuscript. But we can bring that to life through the stories that we tell by being excited about, by being animated, by becoming a character in the Bible or by becoming an inanimate character in the Bible, by becoming an object of the Bible and describing the story from that perspective. It can be a lot of fun. Um, you, you, you can be aboard from Noah's boat, you know. You, you can be the colored um, robe of Joseph and tell the story. You, you can be a bull and tell the story of Joseph from the prison. I mean, you, you can, you, and kids, kids' imaginations are amazing. Whatever you say you are, you are. They don't argue, all right? They don't, they don't go, that, that doesn't make sense. They, they actually love that because they do it all the time, all right? They don't have any problem with imagination. We're the ones that lose that as we get older. I was watching a TED Talk about a guy on creativity, and he said he doesn't like when they talk about um, regaining or learning how to use imagination, he said, we have to recapture imagination because we all have it as kids and it gets trained out of us in the way that we're educated. We're born with the ability to imagine and be creative. So when adults do it, kids are like, yes, they're just like me. Right? They don't have that critical spirit. Like we go to a movie 
We criticize the acting, right? We criticize the special effects. We criticize the plot. We criticize the ending. We leave there and we're all movie critics, right? Now that everyone's got a blog and everyone's got a Facebook and everyone's got a Twitter and a, you know, so everybody's, you know, four stars, three stars. And I'm like, whatever happened to the day when we just went and enjoyed a movie? I mean, we have no say in it. We didn't direct it. We didn't invest a dollar in it. So who really cares what we think of it? Just eat your popcorn, drink your soda, and enjoy the movie for crying out loud. You know, and I'm not saying there's not a place, and of course I share, I have opinions, but there's a time where we just need to say, can we just let our imaginations loose? Well, kids don't have to wrestle with that. They just enjoy it. And so you can join them in that world by being imaginative, but, but you can't be prideful. You can't worry about what they think or whether you look silly or whether you sound silly. You've got to decide, I'm just going to be whatever I need to be for the sake of that story. And it's easier in front of kids, right? It gets hard when the pastor comes in or the usher comes in to do the count, and you're up there, you know, being Jonah the whale. Oh, I got a tummy ache, man. And the usher comes in, and you're just like, oh, my gosh, I can't believe he came in <laughs> right now while I'm acting like, you know, the whale. The second thing is no pride, and you've got to get into the story. Right? You've got to believe that the story is true. Right? And what I mean being into the story, it, it's hard to explain this, but you're not talking about something that happened a long time ago. You're talking about something that just happened. You know, think about it. From God's perspective, being outside of time, he said every, you know, before Abraham was, he could have said I was too. Right? Before Abraham was, I was. But he didn't. What did he say? Before Abraham was, I am. So he's like there right now. When you're praying about a problem in the future, God isn't saying, you know, I know what's going to happen. Don't worry, I got this covered. When we get there, I'll take care of it. He's saying, I'm already there. I'm already, I'm already there with you as you're saying thank you, God. He's outside of time. And so these stories, from God's perspective, are timeless. They're, they're literally happening right now in God's view of time in the world. And so we need to capture a little bit of that. And you do that by telling stories in the first person. I remember at camp a few years ago, the theme was Joseph. And uh, so I was commissioned with telling the story of Joseph. You know, you'll notice I reference Joseph a lot. I love the story of Joseph. He's my favorite Bible character. He's one of the few who, who didn't fail, you know, who kind of did everything right. So I'm jealous of him, right, because I'm not a Joseph, right? I'm a David, I'm a Peter, you know. I mean, I've, I keep, I screw up and I get back up, you know. And I'm like, Joseph's who I want to be, you know. He's my hero. And when I was a kid, I loved Joseph. In fact, my pen name, when I used to write story, you know, it's cool to have a top secret code name. When I was a kid, my pen name was Zaphonath Panea because that's Joseph's Egyptian name. And it means a seer of things unseen, a seer of the future. So the Egyptian Pharaoh saw that in him and named him. He said, you are a seer of the unseen. I name you Zaphonath Panea. Right? So I love this guy, all right? And uh, so I was like, cool, I get to actually teach Joseph. But do I want to teach about a guy that lived thousands of years ago to kids? How do I make Joseph alive? And I was like, the only way I can bring Joseph alive is if I become Joseph. Now, I, I'm not a great actor. I don't have any acting background or theater experience, you know, but I thought, I, how am I going to do this? Well, I had a lady at my church sew me a really nice coat of many colors, and I hung it on a hook on the stage, similar to, to that, and when I got to the part, of the, you know, I taught and I did all my other stuff, but when I got to the Bible story, all I did was walk over, and I put this coat on, and then I would just, whew, 
you know, kind of get rid of the pride. And then when I turned around, I was just Joseph. I didn't change my voice. I just told the story in the first person. And I gotta tell you, it had a profound effect on me because I, I was living his life. And so I was talking in the first person about what it was like to be in this pit, to be looking up and to see my brothers looking down and to see in Reuben's face something different. I wasn't quite sure what it was. Of course, we study the passage. We know what it was, right? He was planning to come back and rescue him later and his plan got foiled. And tell you what, the hardest one was the Potiphar's wife thing in the first person in front of children, you know? And it says he's a really handsome man. And so I'm, I'm trying to find the, the humble way to say, you know, I'm, I'm a pretty good looking guy. And, and uh, she kept flirting with me and I kept being like, you know, not only are you my boss's wife, but this is wrong before my God, you know? And she kept make it finally she grabbed me you know and I so I freaked out you know and I ran and she wouldn't let go and I finally I had to let my coat go the next thing I know you know and then I'm down in prison I didn't do it and you're talking in the first person and saying you know so I had to decide am I going to believe those dreams am I going to believe God or am I going to am I going to feel sorry and I said you know what I'm going to be the best prisoner that this prison has ever seen you know, and the hardest thing, I never got when I, how many times I studied Joseph, I never, I always thought he was kind of a jerk to his brothers when they came back. I never really got the whole where they, they come, he greets them, he sends them on their way and he hides the gold, the silver thing in Benjamin's bag and then he sends the soldiers out and they catch him and they arrest him and they bring him back and, and, and he does this back and forth and I'm like, what is he doing? Here, you know, he's this godly guy and, he, and I'm like, and, and it wasn't until I did it in the first person that I had to actually tell the story in the first, that I, that I got it. That he wondered, are his brothers really sorry? Because obviously he's the most powerful man in Egypt, second only to Pharaoh. Of course they're gonna act sorry. So he's like, how can I know if they really are regretful of what they did for me? So he sets up the younger brother because he knows that will grieve the father. And when they come back, and when every, I'm gonna cry telling the story again because it takes me back to Every single one of them said, no, take me. I'll stay in prison. You can't put our dad through this again. He went through this years ago with our first son. They don't admit it, what they did, but they just say, he went, we can't do that to our dad again. You can arrest us all, but let the youngest go, or it will kill our dad. And he says, okay, they're not only sorry, they know what they did to my dad. He didn't care about himself. It was what they did to his dad. And that was when he said, and I start crying. I'm so embarrassed. I'm in front of all these kids at camp. And I totally got why he said, I gotta go. And he left the room. And I like walked backstage. <laughs> you know, and I came back out and they're thinking, wow, he's good. What do you do, poke himself in the eye, you know? <laughs> and I'm like, and I finally got what he did. But you gotta, but you gotta get so into that story that you become Joseph and you're wrestling with, why, why would I do that? here's why I did it and there's what I saw and then they were scared of me and I'm like no no you meant it for harm but God meant it for good here I am I'm feeding your family I'm feeding all these people don't worry about it in fact when his dad died you know they freaked out again and they were ready to split and he had to convince them again no I wasn't just being nice because dad's here I, re I really am forgiving you but you got to get into the story like that where it becomes real for you and that can be in a powerful, uh, emotional way. It can be in a funny way. I saw a lady at the Children's Pastors Conference years ago who acted like Jonah, Jonah's whale. 
And it was hysterical. She's up on stage, you know, acted like when she was getting sick. I mean, you could totally believe she just swallowed his prophet and spit him out and everything. So whatever it is, whether it's something comical or whether it's something serious, you gotta, if you believe it's real, if you get into that character, you might not think you're an actor, but guess what? The Holy Spirit's gonna, gonna speak through you. And you're gonna find you can do things that amaze even yourself at what God will do through you if you're willing to do it. So get rid of the pride, get into the story. And the third point I have is practice, practice, practice. You gotta practice, all right? And you, as you do things out of your comfort zone, you're gonna get better at it, all right? And, um, and, then, and listen to feedback, ask for feedback, all right? Ask people, how'd I do? What could, what could I have done better? Videotape yourself and watch the videotapes. Those are hard because you're really harsh on yourself. But, but watch it. And you'll realize, oh, I could have done this better. I could have done, I could have done that better. And, and, learn, and then burn the tape, you know, if you want to. But, um, but, but learn from it, all right? And uh, magicians do that a lot. They videotape themselves because they want to catch what little tell, because, you know, they always have a trick up their sleeve, right? Not literally up their sleeve. They're tired of hearing that. But, you know, there's some gimmick or something, and they, they need to be able to see what, what is the audience seeing, what is the spectator seeing, and so they videotape themselves, and they watch the videotape and go, oh, there was a little bit of a glimpse here. The audience may not have caught it because they weren't looking for it, but, but I saw it. And so I, I need to turn a little sooner, or I need to do something a little different. And uh, you can do that as a storyteller. And you'll work on the timing of your words, when you said it, how you did it, and you'll get better and better and better. All right? So before we just give you more points, let me tell you one of my favorite stories. You like that? All right. And this is a partially true story. It's based on a true story, but you'll probably be able to tell when it leaves reality and goes into fiction. If, if you don't know when that happens, I'll, I'll fill you in. Just ask me afterwards. So when did the fantasy part start? And I'll tell you. But the story's about a little boy, and his name is Andy. And uh, Andy was a pretty typical little boy, uh, liked dirt bikes, liked baseball, liked baseball cards. Um, but his favorite thing was that every day after school, on his way home from school, there was a place called the field. Now you think a field is just a field, right? But it was known as the field because the field was completely untouched by grown-ups. And so boys had taken over this. Occasionally a few girls would venture in there, but they'd kind of freak the boys out because, you know, this was a boys' area. And there were dirt bike trails. There was just junk that they could climb on. There was trees. There was, they could play baseball. They, they kind of owned this, right in the middle of a town. And uh, Andy, one day, as he was playing catch with his friends, a baseball flew into a tree. And they thought, oh, the baseball's going to be gone. But as he went over to this tree, and he kind of pushed the branches aside and, and ducked to go in, he was amazed to discover that once he got inside the branches, he could actually stand up. The branches had grown to where they hung down all the way to the ground. But the highest branches were above his head. Now, I'm a little taller than Andy, so... It might have been down here, but, but he was like, wow, this is cool. It's like a secret hideout. Well, he saw the baseball. He quickly grabbed it and dashed out, acting like it was hard to get out because he was hoping to keep this a secret. So he continued to play baseball. But the next day, he got there, avoided his friends, got back into that tree, and just sat down and thought, this is so cool. It's like a secret hideout. And he could hear kids riding their bikes by, heard a couple kids walking by. And despite all the noise, nobody came into his anthill. So he thought, I wonder if no one else knows about this. So he decided to do a little experiment. He put a little um, lunch pail in there, an old one. He didn't mind if he lost it. But he just left an empty lunch pail. 
The next day it was still there. So he got a little braver and he put a couple little treasures in it. You know, little coins, a couple special rocks, you know. It was still there. So a couple weeks go by and he figures, this is, this is my hideout. Well, that was when he discovered one day a little anthill started growing, right where he usually sat. And he almost did the instinctive thing. You know what boys do when they see an anthill. <laughs> he was just about to do that when he thought, well, it's in my anthill. I'll watch it. So he got down on his hands and knees. He starts watching this anthill. And they're carrying little pieces of dirt around. They're digging. And he got kind of fascinated by it. And uh, so every day he would come and watch. And it kept getting bigger and bigger and bigger. In fact, there was one ant in particular. He thought it was the same ant. There's really no way to know. But it was a little bigger. And he seemed to be kind of bossing the other little ants around. So he named them the general. But as weeks went by, he would bring them a Jolly Rancher from his lunch and set it there. And the ants would go crazy over that Jolly Rancher. One day when it was raining and water was pouring everywhere, he got his little umbrella out. And he set his umbrella over the anthill so it would rain everywhere except on the anthill and so he enjoyed as this anthill got bigger and bigger as they ran into boulders and well little rocks he would take a little stick and he would get the rock out of the way and the ants would all scurry but they'd seem to appreciate it so he was loving this anthill he even named it andy's anthill but then it happened one day he was headed to the anthill in his secret hideout when he saw a big sign and it said, shopping center coming soon. Construction starts and it had a date two weeks out. The kids were all bummed. They were all talking about the loss of their dirt bike trails and the loss of their little league, well, little league field. It was just four rocks and a place to play baseball. But Andy was devastated about his poor ants. So as soon as he could, he made his way to the anthill. He got inside, he got down, and he got down on his hands. You guys have got to get out of here. They're going to build a shopping mall, and there's going to be a bulldozer coming, and it's going to squish you. And they immediately got into little lines and started marching away. No. So he thought, well, i got to help him. So he got his lunch pail, and he started trying to put him in his lunch pail. But they just got mad. They all started scurrying around. They started scurrying on him, and he saw a little general getting mad. And he thought, what am I going to do? He thought, there's only one thing I can do. They've got to be warned. I'm going to have to become an ant. So that's when he backed away from the anthill a little bit. And he became an ant. By the way, this is where the story... <laughs> it was amazing being an ant. All of a sudden, he had two extra arms. He was kind of creepy looking. He had pinchers. He had antennas. He's like, whoa, this is so cool. And he went, I said, true, they can pick up 50 times their weight. He went and found a big old rock. It was probably a pebble. And he picks it up. Whoa, yeah! He throws, oh, but I'm here for a reason. I got a mission. Where is that anthill? And he's looking around and he sees it way on the horizon. Ah, oh, I should have stood closer. So he, he hustles over to the anthill, but he doesn't get all the way there when this big ant appears. Stop! Hi! Where are you going? It's like, I'm, I'm, I, I, I'm, are you from another anthill? No, 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 no. I'm not even an ant. I mean, yeah, I'm an ant. I, I'm usually not an ant. I mean, I, I'm here to warn you. You talk nonsense. It's like, this is probably the general. What do you mean a warning? Well, I'm here to warn you. They're, they're going to be building a shopping mall right over your anthill. What's a shopping mall? Never mind. There's going to be this bulldozer. What's a bulldozer? There's going to be a giant yellow wall of steel. And it's going to just come and it's going to destroy everything. But I have a plan and, I, and I, I'm here to save you. Sounds mighty suspicious. Please, let me come talk to, to, your, to, your, to your hill. All right, we'll hear you out. 
So he leads them into the center of the anthill. And he recognizes he looks really tall. And the ants all gather around. And he's trying to explain to them. He's really not an ant. He's really a boy. And they're just not buying a word of it. So he finally says, wait a minute, wait a minute. Hey, did you ever notice these giant sugar bombs that come out of the sky? And they're like square. And they're like solid sugar. And they're like, yeah, that's me. That's like a Jolly Rancher. It's like this big. And it's from my lunch. I go, and I just eat it like that. But to you guys, it feeds you guys for a week. So yeah, we love those. It was, oh, and, and you know how sometimes it rains everywhere except over your anthill? Yeah. That, that, that's me. I, I use my umbrella. You're on what? It, it, it's a, never mind. It, it's a thing. It's a shelter that I put over you. Oh, and what about the times these rocks that you, you're trying to dig up? They just fly up into the sky and disappear. Oh, yeah, that's me. That I just remove them with, with my hand. It, it's nothing. All right. Well, it's making a little more sense. So he, he tries to explain the best he can. But he finally says, you know, I got to get home. If I'm not home by 4.30 every day, then, then I get grounded. I got to go. But I'll tell you what, we're, I'm, I'm going to go back to my father's house. In the backyard, I'm going to prepare a place for you. And it's going to be wonderful. And if I go there to prepare a place for you, then I will certainly come back so that I can take you so that you could be where I, where, I, where I am, where you can be with me forever. And there'll be no shopping malls and no bulldozers and jolly ranchers, all you want. And he says, I'll, I'll come back. Well, as you could understand, not everyone believed, but there were 12 ants who believed. And so he went aside with those ants and he explained a little more detail about when he would return and to be looking for the giant red bucket in the sky. And then he backed up and they actually watched as he ascended up into the sky and transformed and vanished. They were believers now and they went around telling all the other ants, you will not believe what we saw, he went up into the air and he transformed and he vanished. And he's gonna come back, we don't know when. Well, he didn't realize that Ant world is kind of like Narnia, the time travel thing. There's a time continuum thing. Anyway, he was late getting home. And when he walked in the door and his mom said, you're late, young man. He thought, I could explain, but she'll probably think I'm making up stories again. So he just said, I'm sorry, mom. You're grounded for two weeks. Two weeks. So the day before the construction, he was finally able to go back to the village, to the field. He had to sneak in under a construction fence with his little red bucket crawl back into the tree that was still standing, get down on his knees, put his bucket down, and walked. And would you believe it? A bunch of ants all just started lining up and going into his bucket. Now, they didn't all go in the bucket, but a lot of them did. And when they were all done, he carefully picked it up. And as he snuck out of the tree, he looked back, and he, he shed a tear for the ants that stayed behind that wouldn't believe. But, you know, he couldn't force them. He'd tried that before. But he knew these would be happy forever. And he went home. Now, obviously, Andy didn't really become an ant. But something just as incredible did happen. God became a man. And it might surprise you to know that, Carl's, that Andy's name was really Carl, and there was a field, and it did turn into a mall, and unfortunately, I was not able to turn into an ant. So they all perished. But in God's story, Jesus did become a man. And you could tell, you know the rest of the story. And how the 12 believed and how they saw him ascend. And he said, if I go to prepare a place, surely I will return so that where I am there, you can be also. It's a great story, right? In fact, uh, a lady on Kidology, that's been on Kidology for years. I wrote that when I was 10 years old after, after my aunts all perished. And um, to share the gospel with my friends. And a lady took my story and illustrated it. She emailed me and said, I hope you don't mind, but I illustrated your story for the kids at my church. And it's now published into a children's book that we have on Kidology. And so you can get that and Share that with your children. It's a wonderful story. But as you tell a story, you've got to get into it, right? 
You've got to believe it. So a couple of points when you're telling a story, and maybe you observe some of these. Eye contact is important. Try to connect with everyone in your audience as you're telling the story. Because when you look at someone during a story, you make a personal connection. That's why when the preacher's preaching and he looks at you, you think, <laughs> was he thinking of me during that point? You know, of whatever he was talking about? Like, does he think I do that? You know, because there's this, there's this personal connection that happens during that point of the story. And so you work on making that eye contact. And then using facial expressions effectively, you know, and getting your whole body involved in it. You know, if, if I'm describing the tree, you know, to walk over here and to part it and to nail down and to get inside, you, you, you believe there's a tree here. If I'm doing it up on a stage, and kids, the tree, you can go back to the same invisible prop over and over again. And in the kid's mind, that's where the tree is. In fact, I've had kids go, you just bumped into the tree because, you know, I'll, I'll create an invisible prop. And then later when I'm teaching, if I go over here, they go, you just walked into the tree. I'll go, oh, sorry about, you know, because to them, there's a tree there now. In fact, for one unit, um, I put up an invisible canvas and I, I got buckets of paint. I uh, splashed red paint over one and blue paint, but then they were dried and I had brushes that were dried and I would, I would paint a picture of the Bible story, and I would use all different colors, and I would say, you know, here's the, and I would describe what I'm painting. The kids could totally see the picture. And it was great, because the cleanup was wonderful. I just put the buckets away, and there was no canvas. But kids can see that, all right? So you want to use facial, you want to talk softly. Do you notice the times I got, went down to a whisper in that story? All right, and when he was sad, I gotta look sad. It's gotta be convincing, not, he was really bummed, you know, when they were gonna build a shopping mall there, and his aunts were gonna be killed. So he was like, man, what can I do about it? So he became an aunt. And he told him about, you know, I mean, it's, it, it's not convincing. I mean, you guys probably almost believed he became an aunt, you know. And in getting into the story, that's why when he becomes an aunt, you don't just say he became an aunt. You have to, you have to spend at least a minute exploring. If a kid becomes an aunt, he's like, whoa, I got two extra arms. Oh, I got, ooh, can I pick something up? You know, because you can't just gloss over a kid becoming an aunt. I mean, it's, it's imaginary and ridiculous enough that you got to explore it enough that the kids kind of track with it. Oh, so that's what it would be like. Um, the fact, you know, one of his miracles could be that he could stand on his hind feet. And all the other ants were amazed at that. One time I told it where he had a baseball cap. The baseball cap stayed. And I did that because the, the artist kept the baseball cap on Andy in the book so you could tell who Andy was in the, in the illustrated story. And so I started telling it that, you know, his, his baseball cap. And then the kid's are like, what does other clothes do? Do they all disappear? And then how do you get his clothes back? And I'm like, you're thinking too hard about this, all right? So um, tell, it, tell it's like it there. I'll tell you one other story that I, that I really love, all right? And uh, it's, it's also on Kidology. It's one that's been there for years. It's called George in the Umbrella. You're going to love this story, okay? George was a little boy who lived out on an island in the middle of the Pacific Ocean. It was a pretty boring life. Because his island was not like ours. There was no electricity, so there were no televisions, no cars, no game systems, no iPhones. In fact, they didn't do much of anything except farming and eating and sleeping. And, but there were ships that went by their island all the time. And once in a while, they would dock there for trade. So George asked his dad one day, he said, Dad, where do those boats come from and where do they go? His dad said, they go to the big city. Oh, I'd like to go to the big city. He said, you sure can. When you're old enough, save up your money. Well, I need your help during this story. 
There's a couple points in the story where George is going to wait. So just practice twiddling your thumbs, because that's how we wait, right? There's other times in the story where George walks, and when he walks, you can just walk with me right in place, all right? So walk your feet on the floor. But he is going to get on a boat, so when he does, you're going to sail over the sea, and you can just sail back and forth. If you get a little motion sickness, there should be a bag in the seat in front of you, all right? And, um, but there's one part of the story I really need your help, and unfortunately, there's going to be times in the story where George's friends laugh at him. And when they laugh at him, I need you to laugh. Now, before you laugh, when I go, you stop laughing. Don't die, just stop laughing. Okay, ready? Let's practice. Laugh. <laughs> oh, you guys are good. It usually takes two or three times to practice. So we're ready to continue. So George waited. And he waited and he waited. And one day the boat came and it docked at the shore and he got onto the boat and he sailed over the sea. And it was a long journey. But when he finally pulled into the city port, it stopped, and he was very glad. And he got out of the boat, and he walked out into the middle of the town, and it was amazing. There were tall buildings, and there were cars beeping, and there were people everywhere, and it was incredible. But he finally stopped, and he was soaking it all in. The television screens, and the telephones ringing, just the taxi cabs. And he said, this is incredible. I've got to take a souvenir home with me so I can just show my family what I've experienced here. And so he walked around a little bit more until he found a store. And so he went into a store, and he stopped. He looked around. He didn't see anybody. So he said, Mr. Storekeeper. And so this man peeked out of the back and said, Oh, hello there, Sonny. What can I do for you? He said, Well, I, I'd like to take a souvenir back to where my home is. Well, I'd love to give you a souvenir. So tell me, what's uh, it like where you're from? Well, I'm from an island in the middle of the Pacific Ocean. He says, well, what do you do there? He goes, I don't do much of anything. There's really nothing to do there. He says, well, tell me a little bit, little bit more about your island. He says, well, it rains all the time. He goes, perfect. Do you have an umbrella? And George says, an un what? An umbrella. Never heard of an umbrella. Oh, George, you're going to love this. An umbrella will keep you dry when it rains. You're kidding me. No, it does. I'll take one. He says, I'll be right back. So he goes into the back of the store. And I usually use a long one, but I had to travel here, so I borrowed this from somebody here at the conference. So he came out and he said, this is an umbrella. And George takes it and he goes, wow, this going to keep me dry when it rains? Sure will. I'll take it. So he takes out his shells or whatever they paid with, pays for it. I can't wait to show my family. So he walked back down to the shore, stopped, waited for a boat. And when the boat finally got there, he got on the boat. He sailed over the sea, and he sailed, and he sailed, and he sailed. And it finally got back to his island, and it stopped. He got off the boat. He walked down to the middle of the town, and he stopped. And his friends all gathered around to hear the story. And he told about the buildings, and the taxi cabs, and the noise, and the lights, and everything. And they said, well, did you bring anything back? He said, I sure did. I brought back an umbrella. So, um, on what? Umbrella. It's a device that will keep you dry when it rains. They're like, whoa, let's see it. He goes, here it is. And they all went, whoa. He goes, yeah, check this out. Well, they had to wait for it to rain. So they all started waiting. But it rained there a lot. And the sky got dark and the clouds rolled in. His friends all ran for their huts and peeked out the windows and the doors. And George, he went right out into the middle of the town and says, ha, ha. <laughs> And his friends all laughed at him. 
And they laughed, and they laughed. And well, he was humiliated. You got ripped off. I sure did get ripped off. So he went back down to the shore. He waited for another boat. He got on that boat. He sailed over the sea. And when he got back to the, uh, to the mainland, he walked all the way back into that store. And he stopped and said, Mr. Storekeeper! Storekeeper peeks out of the back room. George. Yeah, I bet you didn't think you'd see me again. Well, no, I'm, I'm, I'm happy to see you again. Um, how'd it go? Oh, how'd it go? You ripped me off. Well, I, I didn't mean to rip you off. You gave me this umbrella. I went back there. You said to keep me driving. It rained. I showed all my friends, and then I stood there, and it rained, and I got all wet. Storekeeper says, oh, George, you, you, you've got to forgive me. He says, you know, I, since you'd never seen one before, I, I assumed some things, and I really shouldn't. I really should have explained to you. Explained what? Well, George, I feel silly saying this, but you have to hold it over your head. Oh. You all know where this is going. He said, the, the kids don't. And he goes, I'm so sorry. Will you forgive me? I forgive you. So, of course, he waits for the boat, gets on the boat, you know, sails over the sea, gets off, you know, go back to his friend. And when his friends see, his friends see that he still has the umbrella, they laugh twice as hard. <laughs> he says, you just wait and see, and we'll speed this up. All right, the sky gets dark. The kids all run to their shelters and their caves, and they peek out, and he goes, I'll show them. <laughs> yeah. It might have kept a couple drops off, but he got soaked. And his friends laughed ten times harder than last time. And they laughed, and they laughed, and they laughed, and they kept laughing. They kept laughing. He thought they'd never stop, but he said, that's it. That guy thinks he could rip me off once. He thinks he can rip me off twice. I'll show him. He went back down to the shore. Wait for the boat, breaks his thumbs, gets on the boat, sails over the sea, takes a speedboat, <laughs> gets back to the mail and storms into that store. Mr. Diver! The other workshops are going, what is going on in there? You want big church to go, what's going on in there? He peeks out and says, let me guess, it's George. Yeah, but you weren't back to see me again. Well, I'm not too surprised, actually. Let me guess. You held it over your head. Yeah, and it didn't work. All right, George. It's my fault. It's totally my fault. I'm really sorry. My friend's laughing. It's all my fault. I, I, see, look, you got to undo the Velcro, okay? And then, and then there's a button here. You got to push the button. And then you put it over your head. You always have some people, bad luck. You just ignore him. And George goes, whoa, dude, wow. He says, will you forgive me for yelling at you? The scorekeeper says, George, it's totally fine. I totally understand. Don't worry about it. And by the way, I have a wordless book umbrella that I love using. It has the colors of the wordless book, so I use that. It's too big to travel with. So he goes back, and he waits for a boat. He's in no hurry this time because he knows that he's got it right. In fact, he takes a cruise this time, a luxury cruise. He goes to Bermuda and Bahama and goes to see his pretty mama, you know. <laughs> he finally gets back to the island, but when his friends see the umbrella, guess what they do? <laughs> they laugh a hundred times louder and harder than last time. <laughs> he says, no, you don't understand. I was doing it all wrong. They laugh a million times harder than last time. 
You should see a room full of children do that. They can laugh on demand. You guys are being good sports. He says, you guys got to wait and see. So you milk that laughing for a little while, and then you have them wait. Like they go back to their shelters and their huts. And George walks out into the middle and says, I'll show them. And his friends all walk out in the rain, getting soaking wet, and gather around him. And they all look at his umbrella, going, ooh, wow, dude. If you repeat that from the first time, the kids will all say it with you the last time without even being prompted. You know, George is kind of a silly guy, isn't he? But you know, Jesus made a lot of promises in the Bible. But one of the strangest promises he made, one that you don't see on bumper stickers and Bible bookmarks, is that he promised, in this world, you will have tribulation. It's just a, remember big people like big words? Tribulation's a big word that means problems. You're gonna have problems. Jesus promised you problems. He went on to say, but I have overcome the world. But we're gonna have problems. So God gave us something to help us with problems. It's called the word of God. Some people don't have the Bible. And so when problems pour down on them, they don't get any relief. Some people, though, have a Bible, but all they do is carry it around, all right? It doesn't do them any good. Having a Bible that you don't use is useless. Some people have a Bible, and they kind of use it. Maybe when the preacher says, open your Bible, or when the Sunday school teacher says, open your Bible, or I'll give you a point if you bring your Bible to church. But the Bible can't really protect you unless you do what, kids? Open it. That's how it was intended to be used. And it's a great story, isn't it? All right? So, a couple of points on storytelling that I, I think are illustrated in that story. Exaggerated facial expressions. All right? Whatever you do from a stage decreases and shrinks as it travels out to the audience. All right? So your impact here of the story is, is much greater than his and her impact back there, all right, and in the back row, all right? Because I can look really happy here, and from back there, it's gonna look very plain. Just like when you look, take photographs. You're at a concert, and you think, oh, man, that person looks awesome. You take a picture, and you get home, and you're like, delete it. You can't even, you can't even see the facial expression, right? All right? Because it, it shrinks with distance. So what you have to do is exaggerate. If you want the back row to feel like you're excited, then you gotta be excited. You gotta smile. You don't have to be sad. And you feel silly doing it. Even for the front row, though, you're exaggerating it because it shrinks. So you wanna exaggerate your facial expressions. Expressions? Whatever that is, exaggerate those too. And exaggerate your voice. If you want, if you're sad, you should sound sad. If you're excited, sound excited. If, I, if you're angry, I won't demonstrate again. But man, you were convinced that you, you heard how frustrated George was, right? Mr. Storekeeper! And I'll hold that out even longer when I'm in a room of kids. And, and they're just like, you know? But, but then you, you feel that in him, all right? So you gotta exaggerate. Exaggerate your motions, exaggerate your voice, exaggerate your gestures, and you gotta tell it like you were there, like it's real, all right? It, it's, it's powerful. I'm trying to think of a closing story that I haven't shared yet at this conference because I tell a lot of stories and I love stories. So, because I already told the amen story, right? The, in Jesus' name, amen. You guys, how many of you guys heard that? 
See, I love it. I usually close with that one. Only two people? All right, I'll share it again because only two people heard it. Because I want to end with the power of your personal story. Bible stories are great. Parables, fictional stories, making up stories are great. But your life stories are the most powerful because you are a Bible character, all right? Because Bible characters didn't decide to be Bible stories, okay? I like to say Daniel wasn't going, this is gonna make a great Bible story. All right, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego weren't going. It's gonna be so awesome when that fourth person shows up. They said, even if we die, we're gonna do this, right? They're just normal, ordinary people, and they only became Bible stories because of the amazing trust they placed in God. And so you're a Bible character. You're an ordinary, real person that when you put your faith and trust in God, God's gonna give you stories and when you share those stories, they carry as much, sometimes more weight to a child because they know you, they see what God did in your life, and if God did it for you, he might do it for them just like he did for Joseph and Peter and Paul. And so be watchful in your life for the stories of what God does for you and the things they illustrate. And one of my favorite stories that illustrates a biblical truth is when I'm teaching on prayer. And kids always end their prayers, we all end our prayers with what? After we're done praying, we say... In Jesus' name, amen. And I ask kids, you know, what does that mean? All right, that's a, a phrase we were trained to say, and so we pray, and then we end with that. But what does that really mean, in Jesus' name, amen? Is it just pious talk? Is it just religiousosity, or is that even a word? You know, we, we, we learned to, to talk church, right? And so I tell them a story about when I was dating my wife, when, we, when she was my girlfriend. And before a girlfriend can become a wife, she becomes a fiancé. And before she becomes a fiancé, you have to ask her a very big question. Will you marry me? And smart boys put a lot of thought into how they're going to do that. You don't do it at McDonald's, all right? You plan a really special event. And so my, my special plan was that I was going to propose to my girlfriend the same place that I proposed, that my dad proposed to my mom. My mom and dad went to Moody Bible Institute, and my dad proposed at a restaurant that at the time was the tallest building in Chicago. It was called the Prudential building. It's got the word prudential on it to this day. Now there's a tower next to it, and of course there's all the other towers, but it was called the Top of the Rock was the name of this restaurant. And my dad saved up his money, took her to the Top of the Rock, and proposed, and she said, yes, and now I'm here, right? So I thought, I'm going to take my girlfriend to the same place my dad did, and we're going to repeat history here. So I went to the prudential tower, and went in the elevator, and I hit the top floor, and came out and I found out it's not called Top of the Rock, it's called the Plaza Club. I thought, all right, I don't care if the name's changed, it's still the top floor, it has incredible view of the lakefront in downtown Chicago. And so I met the concierge and I said, I wanna make a reservation. And he said, um, are you a member of the club? And I said, well, well no, uh, I just wanted to eat at the restaurant. He said, well, you have to be a member of the Plaza Club. I said, well, what does it cost? And he kinda looked at me, I don't even think he gave me an answer because I think he figured out that... Um, you know, I really wasn't of the, the type of caliber of person who would be joining this club. So I said, well, can I, I, I don't want to join the club. I, I just want to have one meal here. I want to propose. And I explained the history of my family with this restaurant. And, and uh, he not so politely explained that th there's no way that was happening. That, uh, that, you know, I basically just told me no. And I was kind of crushed. And I was kind of humiliated, too. So I left, and I went to work the next day, and I was a messenger boy for a law firm in Chicago, third largest law firm in Chicago called Bollinger, Ruberry, and Garvey. And I'm in the, in the lunchroom, and I was friends with a lot of the secretaries and the paralegals, and so the girls, you know, they're always in on the love stories, and so they're asking for updates on when are you gonna pop the question and all this. So I was sharing with them 
that my plans f were foiled and I had to come up with another plan. Well, one of these ladies happened to be the secretary to Ed Ruberry of, Ed, of Bollinger, Ruberry and Garvey. So a few minutes later, I get called into Ed Ruberry's office. And this is a guy, like, if he looks at you, you get a bill for $1,000. I mean, this guy's like <laughs> high-powered lawyer. So I go into this beautiful, spacious corner office, and he's busy, and I come in, you know. He lowered the scepter, and I approached. And, um, and he said, I understand you had some trouble at the Plaza Club. And I said, yeah, I wanted to propose to my girlfriend there because that's where my dad proposed to my mom years ago when it was called Top of the Rock. He interrupts me because I was using up billable time. And uh, he said, I want you to go back and just tell him Ed Ruberry said you can have whatever you want. So I'm kind of standing there and he's kind of like, I'm, that's it, that's it. And he wasn't rude or anything, but you know, our business was done. So I, I left his office and I'm thinking, well, that's weird. So I went back to Moody, and I put on my really nice JCPenney suit, <laughs> went back to the Plaza Club, rode the elevator up, and when the concierge saw me again, he's like, not this, not this guy again. So I came up, I said, I'm not really trying to make any trouble, but it's, can, can I just talk to a manager? So he's like, fine. So he goes back and gets the manager, and I can see him explain to the manager the situation. You know, so they're talking, you know, I've already tried to get rid of this guy, and now he's back, and you know, he's gonna tear down the integrity of our club and everything. <laughs> So the manager comes out, and he was nicer at least, and he starts to explain, this is a very exclusive club and his members, and we can't open it up to just anybody off the street and everything. <laughs> and so I let him finish, because I was kind of going to enjoy this in my a little bit, you know. And uh, I said, that's fine, I understand. I'm really not trying to cause any trouble for you. But Ed Ruberry said, I couldn't even finish the sentence. <laughs> Ed Ruberry, you know Ed Ruberry? Oh, I'm, I'm so sorry, we misunderstood. <laughs> when, when would you like to come? And the concierge is kind of like feeling like, am I busted, you know? And I said, well, it's kind of thinking on Valentine's Day. And he says, then, then we have the best seat for you. It's a corner. It overlooks the lakefront and the planetarium and the Navy Pier. And you can see the Sears Tower and the Hancock. And, 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 he, and he says, would you like to have your wedding dinner here? I said, well, yeah. <laughs> he says, we'll close the restaurant and you can have the entire restaurant to yourself for all of your friends and family. Now, did I change? No, I was the same off-the-street peasant that had shown up there the day before. All that changed was me dropping Ed Ruberry's name. I asked for my request in Ed Ruberry's name. When we pray, we have no right to ask anything of God. Up until the end of our prayer, our prayer means nothing if we're asking on our own merit, our own right to go into that throne room of God. But when we get to the end of that prayer and we say, in Jesus' name, God, the owner of the universe, says, oh, that changes everything. You know my son? Ho, ho. If you ask anything in his name, it will be given to you, the Father says. And then, by the way, do you know what amen means? It's like the Jedi in Return of the Jedi, right? So be it, Jedi, right? No, but that's what it means. I say that because kids remember that. So be it. So I tell kids, quit using amen if you don't know what it means. End your prayers with, in Jesus' name, so be it. I challenge you tonight, tomorrow, for the next week. End your prayers with, in Jesus' name, so be it. And if Ed Ruberry can get you into a fancy restaurant in Chicago, imagine what the Son of God can get you into globally, all right? It's pretty awesome. That's a powerful story, right? But it's only powerful because it's my story. You can go home and share that story with someone. It's going to have half the impact because they won't know me. 
So you'll be sharing the story of this guy you heard at the conference. And they'll say, that's a nice story, and it does kind of explain the in Jesus name. But it's only powerful to you because I'm sharing it with you. So you have to find your stories so that when you share them, they have the same power the story has on you because it's your story you're sharing with them. I can't share your stories and you can't share mine. I mean, you can, I don't care. But what I'm saying is if, for, to be effective, they've gotta be your stories, all right? And when you learn to do that, it's powerful. And you, sometimes you go, I don't have any great stories. Yes, you do, because you have a great God. You just have to start looking for the stories and listening to the stories. And as you prepare your lessons, praying and saying, God, reveal to me a time that I have forgotten that you you applied this in my life, and I'll share it with my kids, all right? And that's it. Thank you. We'll wrap up. And thanks again for joining me here on Kid Men Talk. Remember, you can help shape the show with your feedback, with your questions, your suggestions, your input. Carl at KidmenTalk.com goes directly to me. I answer them, I read them, and I love to hear from you. Hope you enjoyed this edition. I know it was a little bit longer, but hopefully you found it encouraging and helpful so that you can become an even better storyteller so your teaching can truly impact the lives of kids. Until next time, this is Carl Bastian from Kidology.org, equipping and encouraging you in your children's ministry. Be sure to tell a friend about Kid Men Talk. <laughs>